This is the Horse Radio Network. We get it. Horse people can confuse the heck out of non-horse people. This week, we share our favorite muggle stories and get a one-on-one lesson on biomechanics from one of our favorite Olympian dressage riders, Jackie Brooks. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 73 of Heels Down Happy Hour. How are you guys? How's it going, guys? All right. So we're back to two episodes a month. Woohoo. And now, excited to talk to you guys more often. Yeah, I missed you. I know, right? And thank you guys, you know, to our listeners who've stuck with us through quarantine and this crazy 2020 year, but we're back. So this episode is brought to you guys by Flare Strips. I talk to you guys a lot about how much we love them. You can use them every day on the horses. We make sure all of our big horses always go out cross country. In the Flare Strips, it really just opens up everything and lets them breathe a bunch. So if you guys want more information, they have a bunch of Info on their website, go to flarestrips.com. All right. So I have a super fancy drink this week. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. It's called a smoky melon Pisco sour. Um, and it sounds like very adult for our drinking tastes, but uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so get this. Cause there is some, you know, there's some like prep work. You got to be ready for this. All right. So. You need watermelon juice. So basically you just get like a quarter of a watermelon, like, but you want a seedless watermelon. And then they use a chipotle salt rim for this drink. And that, this is what makes it like, you really want to go all out on the rim. Okay. And you need one lime wedge, one tablespoon of salt, a fourth tablespoon of chipotle chili powder to make that salt rim. And then, so to actually make the drink, you need one and one fourth Pisco. You need some Mezcal. You need some lime juice, watermelon juice, about three fourths ounce of simple syrup. You need one egg white. Uh, You're going to want some bitters and then you're going to garnish it with a little bit of a chilled watermelon ball, you know, like, so you could scoop the watermelon and you freeze them. You use that as your ice cube. This drink is so good. Really into it. So it does require some work because you got to like puree some of the um, the watermelon chunks to get the watermelon juice out of it. But we'll we'll put all of the instructions in the show notes. So if you guys are interested in wanting a, like a creative drink and you're willing to put the work into it, I will tell you it's worth it because it's very tasty. I feel like I would have to drink while I'm prepping this drink, right? But, yes. I, but yes. I would, but I do it. It sounds really good. <laughs> You want to like pregame for this drink for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But it is really good. I love the rim. It's like, a you know, something you would order like at a cool bar, you know, but you can make it at home and we're going to show you how. All right, Jess, what do you got for news this week? I've got some kind of sad, but maybe not have to be sad news. Hopefully somebody will step up to the plate, but they just announced so I did not know this, that the Blenheim Horse Trials, I've actually gone to compete over in Europe. It's one of my favorite four stars in the world. It's got the long format, and I went over there years ago and competed at it. But I didn't know that British Eventing BE actually was the organizer of it, and it's the only event that they organize. And so jumping forward, they have now decided... 
they canceled because of this whole COVID thing. And now looking back on it, they've decided that they're actually not going to run Blenheim event from now forward, that they're actually just going to focus on the delivery of the cork sport itself. So now they're reaching out to organizers or somebody because they want it to still run. They just don't want to be the organizing committee. So they're asking somebody else to run it. So I'm hoping that somebody steps up so that they can still kind of have this huge event. It's in front of the beautiful Blenheim Palace. It's so much fun. I'm very glad Doug and I went. I competed years ago and then Doug took Van Diver two or three years ago. And so I really hope somebody steps up because they have uh, four long and a four short. And then they also have the nine and eight-year-olds that they actually do because they do the four S for just the eight and nine-year-olds. So I really hope that they kind of get it together and somebody steps up because it's by far one of my favorite events probably in the world that I've gone to. So hopefully not sad news, but hopefully somebody steps up. It's such an iconic event. I just think that's, I mean, it's awful and just shows like somebody has to step up, right? Right. Exactly. I mean, it's such a a huge event. It's one of the premier events you watch every year. I just, I can't imagine that there's not someone who can step up. I mean, this is an awful time too. you know, like, I, you know, I'm sure, I mean, it's, it's 2020, easy. it's terrible yeah. on a pandemic. I, I'm sure that's why they're not going to run the horse show to begin with. But I, I really do hope someone steps up. I know. Yeah, maybe uh, not this year, but maybe next year, hopefully. So I have some interesting news, or at least I found it really interesting. So there was a study done on basically vacation stress by Dr. Manuel Lopez Behar. So we all think, okay, we're going to give our horses a break. We're going to throw them out to pasture for, you know, a month, however long. Okay. So they did a study on eight Spanish stallions from the police force in Barcelona. And they looked at hair samples taken from their abdomen areas to analyze their chorostal. Did I say that right? Chorostal? I think so. Anyway, their cortisol levels to see how stressed they were. So I guess, which I didn't know, saliva and fecal samples, like you can tell a lot about stress, but it's more short term. But if you look at their hair, you can get an overview of the long term stressors. So they basically found out that that vacation time that we're giving our horses might not actually work until after like the first few weeks um, because they have to adapt to everything with their new environment, which I guess if you have a horse that's used to working and used to interaction with people, right, that makes sense that all of a sudden, you know, having different interactions would be, you know, just something new to get used to, you know, and there's new horses, might be new nutrition, better grass, different schedule and stuff like that. Um, so I think there's a lot we, we don't think about when we put a horse out for vacation. And they, they decided that the the significant increase that they saw in the cortisol doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, the horse is in jeopardy, but, you know, you want to make sure that that level gets reduced and back down to normal because otherwise it means that they're not um, psychologically coping with the environmental change. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's you, really interesting. You want to think when you throw them out, like a, a working horse, that they enjoy the break, right? But clearly this suggests that maybe that's not the case. Yeah. That's something you have to keep an eye on. Yeah. It says that usually like 
they will after a few weeks, but I think that they just, at first they're just stressed because it's so, I mean, we, we know they're routine animals, right. And they love right. patterns. Yeah. And I think breaking them out of that pattern, especially, I mean, they looked at police horses that are stalled, you know, but worked like every single day, you know? So that's probably a big change for them to go from stall and mounted work to, you know, yeah. free range, free forage out in a pasture. That makes sense. Interesting. What about you, Justine? I've got a weird one. All right. So of stick with me because <laughs> it's kind of a long winded story, but, um, an Austrian show jumper, his name is Felix Kohler. He got suspended because uh, he was tested for banned substances. And you know how that goes. Uh, it, it got picked up at a major event. But so he was suspended, but he got handed half of the usual suspension time because the FBI found out that uh, the drug that his horse tested positive for was actually administered by uh, the Austrian jumping team's national veterinarian. So the vet is the reason why this horse tested positive uh, for this drug, drug, and not just once, but multiple times in 2019 in Switzerland during the CSI five-star wow. out there. I know. Isn't that crazy? Could you imagine that? No. So anyways, the vet is in major trouble um, and he's been dismissed by the Austrian Federation because of this. And the FEI is actually considering like a separate disciplinary action just for the vet for multiple rule breaches. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess the FEI is investigating and they agreed with uh, the writer Kohler that the vet has actually falsified some of his evidence to try to like, it sounds like what? he was trying to hide some of this. I know. Wow. So this is kind of nuts. Could you imagine? Yeah. I would like, how devastated would you be to be showing at that level? And then you get in trouble. Like you get suspended by the, um, the FBI because of your vet. I don't even know what I would say. I, I think I'd freak out. Yeah, I definitely would. <laughs> I'd be really pissed off. That's right. I'm thinking about what a nightmare. So I, I, it's still kind of like un unclear why like what the vet was you know like why the vet did this but basically uh the show jumper Kohler was said like he was basically duped like he was he had believed the vet was like giving him like a b vitamin um but and clearly that wasn't it and that the horse felt weak and then he tested positive for these banned substances and then created this whole like wabam crazy scenario so um so he's still being penalized, but not like to the full suspension that uh, he would have been if this vet, if they weren't able to figure out that it was the vet's fault. Kind of crazy. So be careful. I guess you like, make sure you know who you're working with is the moral of that story right? of your whole support team. Oh, gosh. So I just wanted to give a shout out to everybody who supports our podcast on Patreon. We really enjoy doing this podcast and we're glad you guys like it too. So if you want to help us and continue our podcast twice a month now, back on track, check out Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Heels Down. So I heard you guys tried the new Eco Gold Flip Matte Half Pad. I did. So this is brand new from Eco Gold. Uh, and obviously we are huge Eco Gold fans on the show. All three of us ride in some Eco Gold pad, right? Yeah. Uh, 
And so this is Eagle Gold's newest product line, which is everything you love about the flip half pad, but in uh, beautiful new matte finish colors. Plus, uh, they really take the environmental standards, like their commitment to that cause to the next level. These pads are vegan and they're ethically produced, but you still get everything we love about Eagle Gold. It's still the hardest working pad. It still has superior support and protection for your horse's back. It still has the anatomical shape to offer spine and weather relief. And what I love most about all EcoGold pads, especially my flip half pads, is the fact that there is it's non-slip. Like that pad is there. It's supporting my horse and I don't have to worry about it because it's just doing its job and it's not going to slip. So I I got the new matte Havana color, but the the new matte colors, um, like the whole color scheme, they're very earthy. So there's Havana, which is like it's like a saddle brown color. It's beautiful. It like it just looks really high end. It just looks like an extension of the leather underneath the saddle. But then they also have uh, a mocha color, which is like a darker brown, still with that really nice flat matte finish. And then they have black and then a really beautiful navy too. So if you like like a slate, like a dark navy color, I it, that's that color is really, really sharp too. And because it's the flip path pad, it means you get two colors in one pad, right? So you can have white or black on one end and then one of the matte finishes on the other side. And you can flip it and use whatever color you want depending on the day. And yeah, I, I love this pad just as much as I love my normal flip half pad. It has the uh, the high resilience foam. It just adds that an extra layer of protection to my horse's back every time I ride. And my horse is chestnut in color and his, his coat looks beautiful this time of year. He's super shiny, like he shines like a copper penny. So that Havana color looks really sharp on him. I've gotten a lot of compliments and I've only ridden in it in a couple times. So... The flip half pad comes in both jumper and dressage styles. They're different sizes that can fit any saddle. And if you're interested in learning more, you really need to go and check out the colors because they're beautiful. Uh, Go to ecogold.ca. You guys have got to check out the new EIS's new Kalamia collection. It's so stylish and sustainable. They're all made in the U.S. of recycled materials These beautiful shirts offer UPF 50 for maximum UV protection and moisture wicking technology. You guys should check out all the different patterns that they offer, and it's on eis-wear.com. All right, everybody. We're really excited to have a fan favorite back on the show. We've got Jackie Brooks, who's a two-time Olympic dressage rider. She's from Canada. She's always a pleasure to have on the show. Uh, So welcome, Jackie. Thanks for coming on. Ah, thanks so much for having me. I love this show. <laughs> we love having you. So I know you are an instructor on this dressage symposium that Equal Gold is hosting soon on Saturday, September 26th. It's from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern time. And it sounds like it's going to be a really cool, super special event. Um, it's you. It's Alas Jordan Gunderson, another uh, dressage trainer we love. It's Shannon Dueck, who's another dressage trainer. And you guys are going to be talking like high-level dressage, sport, performance. Um, it's, it's like sounds like a really important um, fundamental riding techniques workshop. And I know you, uh, for that symposium, you're going to be focused on talking about biomechanics uh, of the horse, how that works. And I was thinking that. That's like a great primer for us, right? Like, um, can you give us just like a one-on-one on like, what is 
biomechanics and why is it important for any rider to really understand how the horse moves and how it works? Sure. So, well, first of all, just this symposium idea is just, I think it's a great idea, you know, with the COVID situation and what we're all in and we're all, you know, uh, rightfully terrified to all be in a group. Uh, you know, certainly symposiums and clinics have been shut down like crazy this year. So to try to come up with some way that people can still participate and learn and, you know, we can really uh, convey some our thoughts on how it goes and the way I normally do in clinics or we normally do in symposiums, uh, I got to applaud, first of all, Ethical for putting this together. That's, uh, it's going to be awesome. And it's, I think also maybe something, you know, we keep hearing over and over again that there's always going to be some, like some things that we want to keep after this pandemic. And I think some of these online learning uh, situations that we've come up with on my online um, lessons and stuff where I can actually, you know, help people more often I think that there are the positives that are going to come out of this terribly, terribly negative situation. So number one, this symposium, I think it's something that we could probably continue with afterwards anyway. I think it's a great idea. And of course, Patricia's always leading the charge on these things. So, uh, you know, we're just lucky to have her in our lives for sure. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Biomechanics. biomechanics for me. I mean, there's two levels of biomechanics. Um, there's the biomechanics of how the body works. So how the human body works, how the horse body works. And I, you know, I don't know if everyone listening is familiar with my past, but I came from um, dressage quite late, you know, as a, uh, my late teens or early twenties. And before that, I had been involved in many, many other sports: swimming at a very high level, skiing at a high level, playing tennis at a high level. You know, it's kind of honestly, I was looking for a way to the Olympics, and I was looking for a sport that suited me at that level because my goal, my life goal, was always the Olympics. And when I got involved with the riding, uh, I noticed there was a, a, lar- a, a huge discrepancy in how any other sport that I'd ever learned was taught compared to how riding is taught. And uh, I think that the main thing is that there's a, a huge difference between controlling a sailboat or a rowboat or a pair of skis or yourself in the water uh, compared to uh, partnering with uh, an animal like a horse. So the biomechanics of how a horse moves, you know, how their limbs move and, and the, the, the balance of all of that when they're on their own, of course, is quite different from when you're riding them. And the biomechanics of how a human moves, walking, you know, around just normal compared to how the biomechanics of diving, for example, or of swimming or of skiing, the biomechanics of the sport itself are different than um, the biomechanics of like simple human balance or simple animal balance. So our, our big thing with the horses is to find a way that they understand the mechanics of the sport that we're asking them to do, because for them, it's not a natural thing. First of all, it's not natural at all to carry a human on their back. It wouldn't, you know, it wasn't something they were designed to do. And then in particular, our sport is quite confining to them. So if you think of jumping or cross country, those are things that they might do, you know, have to do if they were out in a herd and they were running uh, from something chasing them and then they have to jump a log. You know, it's something that in their core and in their body, they, they're born knowing how to do that. To carry the rider and to carry the rider through a dressage test, that that's a the biomechanics of that for me is something that is um, trained, learned like ballet, like for a human to stand on their toes or to jump up and do these pirouettes or, 
whatever they're doing in the ballet is not a, uh, something that mechanically humans are designed to do. So for me, when I train the horses, I'm always looking for the best way for them to understand consistently what I'm asking them to do and what are the mechanics behind that. Uh, so when you're thinking about it and someone just tells you, oh, just pull the head to the inside and put your inside leg on and you're going to kick it off your inside leg and you're going to catch it on your outside rein. And this is the foundation of dressage as it is. And as you're taught over and over again, and if they don't respond well, you kick them harder or, you, you know, whatever you do. Um, my whole journey in the sport has been wh- why, why does that work? What, do, you know, what, why does that shift their balance? What are we trying to do with all of that? So what I, you know, think about training them and think about the training scale and how that's going to work and why do we have to keep them around and why do we have to have contact and why do we have to have them lift their back? If you do all those things properly and, and in a kind way, it puts them in the posture that is the sport. So the posture of gymnasts doing their, their work or the posture of a diver doing their work. And so the complicated part for us with the horses is making them understand more simple aids for that. So uh, I don't know if, you, if people have specific questions about what, you know, what, what that is, like why do we make them round or why do we have their neck up or, or what that is. But I'm happy to answer any any questions about why I, why I think, you know, why I think this way for sure. I think one of the big questions that a lot of our readers had was they want to know what's the easiest and most challenging thing for you to teach. So for me, the basic most challenging thing and the easiest that I think is missed all the time is the concept that there are two uh, very effective ways to collect a horse one is wrong and one is right. And the, the, the easiest way to collect the horse, of course, is to pull on his mouth and pull on the reins and stop the horse from the front end. And that is the incorrect way to collect the horse for the sport. The correct way is that when a horse lifts its back and it takes uh, more weight on its hocks, obviously, and it lifts itself up and lightens its shoulder and, and brings its center of gravity back, it naturally collects. So if you're uh, watching somebody, it's very, very difficult to actually see whether they've stopped the horse with the reins or with their, whether the horse is collected because it's lifted its back. So those two mechanics, the, the biomechanics of those two things are quite different. And the easiest way for me to describe that to somebody would be if you're riding your bicycle and you slam on the front brake, you obviously know that the weight is going to go on the front tire. If you're going fast enough, inertia is going to take you over the handlebars and you are going to fall over the front of the bike. So putting the brake on in front, it's the same reason every mother in the world puts their arm out when they hit the brakes and they know whoever's beside them doesn't know they're hitting the brakes because they know that when they hit the brakes, they're aware that their body weight is going to come forward and they're aware that the person sitting beside them, their body weight is also going to come forward. It's why we have seatbelts. You know, it's, it's an absolute, according to physics, thing that is going to happen. When you connect the horse and you don't use the brakes to slow down, it's like gearing down to slow down. So when you think of 
can I stop a car without having to hit my brakes? Of course you can. But you need to really understand how to play the clutch, how to change the gears, when to change the gears, and how to, to take that car and slow it down without touching the brake, without it stalling out. So that idea in collection comes because as you shift the center of gravity back in the horse and you push, you know, it, it starts to, to take more weight on its hocks, it is then able to push its core up or its back up, however you want to think about it, lighten its shoulders a little bit, and it's going to naturally collect it. So what, mostly when people come for their first lesson, it's really describing to them the difference between lifting a horse from its core to collect it or pulling on its mouth to collect it. And I'm not for one second saying there aren't times that you pull to stop. Of course, if, if, if you're you know going at speed that you need to stop with the brakes, of course you hit the brakes. But you have to understand every time you hit the brakes, of course, the weight is coming on the shoulder, the horse is going on the forehand, the back is dropping, and you see it a lot. You know, you see these horses that are super fancy because they're held in tension against the rein, and it does elevate the shoulder for sure, but it elevates the shoulder in a way that the shoulders are constricted and the back is dropped. And it's not the biomechanics that is supposed to be in the sport. The sport is supposed to be that you are able to give push the back up, the shoulders lighten, and collection is a result of that posture. Several of our <laughs> listeners are riding and training unconventional and non-traditional breeds in dressage. And, you know, so they have naturally different head carriages than like you were just talking about, like saddle breads, Morgans, quarter horses. Do you have any tips for them on how to get started on training? Yeah. So the, you know, people like to say all the time, oh, I got to treat each horse different. Each horse is different. You know, the, the reality is the sport is the sport. So if you liken it to, again, to like diving, if you don't dive with your body vertical and you don't go into the water without a splash, you're not diving. So dives are marked on how you land in the water. What you do in the air makes it more difficult to land in the water. So if you do a flip or a chip, like you twist around in the air, it makes it more difficult to land vertical in the water. And if your legs say, separate, say, while you're making those flips and you lose your posture while you're flipping, well, that makes it easier to land vertical in the water because the difficulty is holding your posture while you do it. So yes, different horses. We treat them differently based on their basic confirmation. But your goal is that the mechanics of what you're trying to do, it's every single horse, uh, you're, you're looking for the same end results. So if I look at a horse, say, like a thoroughbred or, you know, something that maybe uh, doesn't have the same kind of back that a worm blood has to be able to lift itself up into, you know, the highly elevated um, movements like massage and staff and I I still don't think that horse can't lift its back of course it can lift its back but it may only be able to lift its back to the degree that it can do the required elements for a first level test or a second level test and I think that's where you have to be fair to the horse I don't think you take a breed like a saddlebred or uh, an Appaloosa quarter horse whatever and say okay you know I'm going to let you be in a bad posture and I'm going to you know, try to train and train you to Grand Prix and then say you're limited. I think that the, the actual movement, the actual skill levels of what we ask them to do, 
I, I think a lot of horses can learn them. You know, I think you look on Facebook, you see every other horse can do a set of ones or maybe a horse is talented at Piaf or talented at Passage. Um, they all can basic walk, trot, canter. And on every single horse on the planet, I could tell you, I could bring someone in and say, okay, now you're collecting with your hands in a backwards way. And now you're collecting by lifting the there's not one horse in the world that can't do those those basic postures, even if you're just going to do them in training level and first level, you know. And I think the crime in the sport is when people are rewarded in the early levels for um, incorrect collection. Seriously, like if they're if they're asking asking for that collection and that horse is a little bit giving it to them because they're against the hand and they're using tension in the shoulders to create. Um, some lift or, 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 you know, what looks amazing in the shoulder, but you can tell it's under tension. Uh, that for me, that's the, that's the worst part because then that poor person, when they try to get to Grand Prix, they have to go all the way back and retrain that horse to lift it back to collect, you know? So I, I don't, I, in our, in our, in my business, you know, at Brookhaven there, I never tell people sell your horse. This horse isn't good enough. I, I believe in them all. And I'm, you know, adamant that we can find a way to make them all happy in their work and then just be fair about the level that you're asking them to do. You know, if you want to go out and you want to beat the Pelagro of freestyle, you want to compete with Isabel Worth, well, then you need an athlete that, that, that that's fair to ask of. But if you have a nice, you know, Pinto and you want to teach it to lift its back and carry itself and, and really be a partner uh, in your daily work, there's not a horse in the world that can't learn that for sure. And then also we had a couple listeners wanting to know what kind of exercises do you use to help loosen up and kind of supple the pole of the horse? Do you have any good exercises for the listeners? For sure. So when you're looking down at the neck, for me, the neck, there's two parts to the neck. There's the pole flexion. So that's like the top third of the neck. And then there's the rest of the neck. And that's the part that looks very thick. So when you're, you're really like connecting them in the neck, you know, it'll look, you know, it'll get wide. It'll look like uh, you're you're looking at a ladder, like a, or a, or something that has like handles. Like it'll look wide, and that comes from the base of the neck up. So even if you see a horse like in freedom that starts to passage around in the field or whatever, you'll see them elevate their neck pretty straight up, and that comes straight out of their shoulders. The pole flexion, the relaxation of the pole and the roundness, that comes from the head. Uh, from the bit up around to about one third of the way down the neck. Uh, and, you know, people are like, well, if, if it gets overbent and it's breaking at that, you know, that, that third vertebrae, then, you know, people are all up in arms about that. But that is where poles bend. They don't bend actually at the pole. They bend, you know, about three vertebrae back or three braids back. And pole flexion or relaxation there doesn't mean you're not having to pull the highest point. It just means that there's a separation between pole flexion, which is where you would just see the inside corner of the eye, and what's going on in the rest of the neck. The rest of the neck we use to connect the neck to the shoulders and the shoulders to the, to the, uh, the back and the back to the hips. And that, for me, that's the big, thick part of the neck. So when you're talking about what you want to do for relaxing the pole, that's all to do with the freedom of the shoulders um, and the ride that is basically in front of your leg. And for me, in front of your leg is the actual place on the horse. So what's in front of our leg, the shoulders, the neck, the head. So when you ride a, a really good leg yield, 
and you just have a little bit of flexion. So you just see the inside eye and you leg yield them from your inside leg to your outside rein. It's a little bit like picking a soccer ball from one foot up to the rein. That for me is freeing the shoulders and relaxing the shoulders and that there's no uh, negative tension in the shoulders. So you're riding them in a, in a way that you're letting the shoulders be very quick like there's no restrictions on them. They don't feel like they're going through, you know, quicksand. They're just passing through the air. And what causes the restriction on the shoulders is our hands, the bit, and the reins. So the reason you want them to relax in the pole and relax in their lower part of their neck, like their throat area, is because when you keep the neck straight coming out of the chest and you relax them onto the bit in terms of their their roundness through the pole and their relaxation through the pole, you'll see them relax below, um, under the neck, and that will ca- that will take away any restrictions in their shoulders. So then you won't feel like they're against your hand, uh, they can't move their shoulders, they, their shoulders are locked or the shoulders are under pressure. So for me, a really good leg yield where... There's no bend in the body whatsoever. You're just getting a little bit of flexion in the neck and you're teaching them to keep their shoulders moving forward and a little bit sideways from your inner leg up to your outside rein. That exercise itself, that will give you pole relaxation, roundness, and freedom of the shoulders. And that's a necessary um, precursor to then sitting against the rein a little bit um, in the in the part of the neck that gets very thick. And when you sit against the neck and you rock the weight back to their primarily their outside hind, you're connecting them from their your inner leg to that outer rein to their outside hind. And that's when you start to be able to lift the back or lift the core muscles or uh, lighten the weight on the shoulder, shift the center of gravity back, all those things that you hear, that has to come without any restriction in the shoulders. And the mistake I see being made the most is that when people sit against the mouth to try to collect them, the mouth and the roundness, that will only start to um, stop the horse from being able to use their shoulders freely enough to stay in front of your leg. So as soon as the shoulders get restricted by your hands, or if you balance, you know, your balance, if you're not finding your balance clear on your seat bones and your tailbone, like in a really clear column up to your head, you can, you can, there's a lot of reasons why all of a sudden they start to restrict their movement in their shoulders. And as soon as you get that restricted movement in your shoulders, they are a hundred percent downhill, their back is dropped and they're against your hand for sure. And there's nothing they can do about it. So you're not, it's not the kind of thing that you can just say, pick them harder or gallop them forward or, you know, uh, get after them with a spur or all these, these ideas, they don't work because the basic balance of the horse is off in that moment because the rain is causing it because you're using your front brake and the weight is coming on the shoulder and the horse has no other option in that moment. So for me, a very, very good leg yield is how you teach the horse to come from your inner leg to your outer rein in a way that doesn't restrict the shoulders. Wow. Well, Jackie, I feel like you just gave us a really great primer into what to what we can expect from the Equal Gold Dressage Symposium. So if you are interested in learning more from Jackie, 
uh, along with two other Grand Prix dressage riders and trainers. Again, the the Eco Gold Symposium is happening on Saturday, September 26th. It's going to be from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to sign up, it's $195 per person for registration. But the first 50 registrants will receive a free Eco Gold saddle pad. And you can sign up oh, for the symposium. Deal. I the know, right? The saddle pads are worth more than that. They I know. Exactly. Free and you get a wicked good saddle pad. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so so you got to make sure you sign up fast. So here's the yeah. link to sign up if you're interested. You can go to ecogold.ca slash ecogold hyphen dressage hyphen symposium. And if you're in Canada, the link is ca.ecogold.ca ecogold hyphen dressage hyphen symposium. So I think it's safe to say everybody knows I have too many animals, including horses. Um, so what really helps me know that I have the financial resources to provide for my horses if they need it is the Smart Pack Colicare program. It's completely free and it covers the horses up to 10 grand in colic surgery reimbursement. If you want to learn more about the Colicare program, which you totally should, you should visit smartpackequine.com. So guys, I want to hear your best non-horse people story. Like, tell me the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you with a non-equestrian. I well, mean, Justine's got to start this one out because I know oh. she has a great one that she messaged about wanting something that I've heard in the past that the oh, listeners yes. have to have about this one. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yep. Tell us, Justine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is a good one. And what uh, what made me think about this, I don't know if you guys saw this meme going around on Facebook, but it was like someone tweeted a picture of what is very clearly like a mineral salt block that, you know, horses or cattle lick out in the field. And it's, <laughs> and it's like this guy, all right, I'm just going to read it. And he's like, been off a couple of weeks, went to East Sus Sussex, found a gorgeous pink crystal type rock thing in a field. The kids think it's soothing and probably an alien head relic. We thought it was rose quartz. It sits now proudly in our house. Turns out it's a salt block for cows to lick. And I just like died <laughs> laughing. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you got to look at the picture of it because it very clearly is just like a salt lick, you know? That's awesome. But it made me think of this time, like year. This was years ago, um, and you know, you like per, this was like before marketplace was like a big deal on Facebook, and so I used to peruse Craigslist occasionally. You might get some good deals on horse supplies. You know, barns going out of business. People post on Craigslist in your area, and someone had like a Mickelman bridle for sale, and it was like brand new, um, and it looked really nice. It was like gorgeous. So. I had, um, she had her phone number attached to the Craigslist ad. So I just text her like, Hey, do you still have that bridle for sale? And like hours go by. I remember I was at work, so I, I didn't think about it. And then I got home later and I get a text back like hours later from this random phone number. And, and they just responded, do you mean this bridle? And they text me a picture and it is like a, um, S and M head <laughs> contraption. <laughs> With like leather straps that go over the head and it actually is a bit that goes in like a human's <laughs> mouth. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but 
very clearly not for a horse <laughs> and for <laughs> some weird human activity. And I'm like, I remember like my cheeks got red, like looking at the text. I was like so horrified. Um, so clearly I had mistyped the phone number uh, and I just texted some like random person um, about that bridal. So, so that is my, my non-horse <laughs> person <laughs> experience. But do you guys have a good one? Like a silly one? I don't have one, but I saw on Facebook, it was actually really made me laugh because we all know like Facebook listens to you and, you know, you talk about things and they show up all the ads. Well, she posted and she's like, does Facebook know something that I don't know? And it was like giving her all these baby stuff. And somebody's like, do you call your horses babies or something? And basically we, you know, from what I could read by it basically was that they, every time you talked about a baby, like horse or whatever, she never said baby horse, but she's like, my babies are so cute, blah, blah, blah. I can't wait for this. But basically Siri or whatever was listening in and started giving her ads for baby stuff. And I was like, oh well, my that's kind of awkward. Like I'd be freaked out. I was pregnant or something. I'd be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> they know something I don't know. Like what in the world? Like Alexa's listening in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And starts telling you what baby products you need. And you're like, I'm not pregnant. This is super awkward. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. That's scary. <laughs> that's what I thought oh was scary. Speaking of Facebook, I got, I've got another one. So I saw one in like a like a local furniture, like I'm in furniture, I'm in all kinds of Facebook groups, but like local furniture trader type groups. And someone was posting uh, a pair of vintage handcuffs, and I looked at the images, and it was like literally just like a really old, like yellowed um, snaffle bit, and it it literally was just a horse snaffle bit, and someone didn't know what it was, and they were trying to sell it for like. $50 or something as <laughs> vintage handcuffs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ellie, <laughs> uh, do you have any good stories? So I do partially because I don't really have a filter. So I was talking to my coworkers who are like total layman when it comes to horses. And I had mentioned sheath cleaning, which you know, oh they, they they should have known better than to ask, <laughs> but then I had to explain it to them and they were like, I, I wish I could have captured the look on their faces. I think they were like afraid that I was like going to touch papers that they were going to touch later in the day. <laughs> oh like, no. They were like, oh, you have to do that? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's really cool. You want to see what I pulled out? And they're like, no, no. <laughs> Well, because when I rescued that Rocky Mountain horse that I've acquired, he had like a golf ball sized Ew, bean. bean. It was disgusting. Like I had to break it into two in order to pull it out. It was gross. I don't know how he was able to pee at all. It was really oh, gross. Oh, my gosh. I think I posted it on Facebook, too. So <laughs> we were just like, what is that? Where did that come from? I'm like, you don't want to know. But I think that's probably the worst is don't mention sheath cleaning <laughs> public. I feel like the normal ones are, are like more common ones that I hear are people who own their own farms. And it's like their neighbors come by and go, why is your horse blindfolded in the field? Because it's wearing a fly mask, fly mask. you know, think things like that. Or people think your horse is dead when it's laying out in the pasture, you know? Oh, yeah. Yep. Or why are they? 
why are they like, or your horses are fighting with each other. I used to get that one a lot. I'm like, no, they're, they're just playing. That's kind of how they interact. Well, they were biting each other. I'm like, yeah, that's what they do. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So it's that time again. It's our favorite rose and thorn. I'll go ahead and start us off, but you guys be thinking about your rose and thorns. So my rose is that I got to go to a horse show again. I'm finally back out competing and it's been a lot of fun. So I went to try on and just did a jumper show and did the one tens and getting back at it. So yes, it's, it's feeling nice actually. So that's fun. And then my thorn is with going guests to the horse show and everything. It was great and amazing, but trying to schedule this, everything keeps changing that some days I'm just like, all right, we'll rip up that piece of paper and we'll start again. Like, I just want to rip up calendars. Like I think we've tried 16 different things. So I'm at the same time, so thankful to be competing, but I know that it's nobody's fault, but that is like my rose because it is like a thorn in my back that every day I'm like, okay, well not going to that one. So I'm thankful that Tryon and Aiken have decided to keep running everything. So that's nice, but that seems to be where we're going all season. So we're doing a lot of Tryon and Aiken. So still nice, but it is what it is. Justine, what do you have? Oh man, at least you got somewhere to go. And Tryon I know, is, right? Yeah, yeah. And Tryon seems nice, but definitely yeah, understand. And, yeah. So I mean it's it's hit or miss. It's it's hard to say it's a thorn. It's more just real frustrating in the fact that you don't know where you're, you know, like it's totally, you do, you can't plan. plan. No. And I'm a planner. So I think it's more the thorn that I'm the planner and that's the problem. (laughs) I think that's the biggest thing is like, if I was just like a seat of the pants, like Doug, like he doesn't get bothered by it at all. He's like, Hey, whatever. (laughs) It will work itself out. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to (laughs) die. Totally get that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. So, um, my rose is, is okay. You got to bear with me. Cause it's going to sound like a thorn, but then it's a rose. So I've been like very casually low key looking for, uh, a new jump saddle. And so, but I'm like, I had a fitter come out. I, you know, I wrote in a couple things. I got an idea of what I need for my horse and for me. And then I've been trying to do it all on my own, which is stupid. Um, and I've been buying, I've just been buying saddles off eBay and like riding in them. And then like, it doesn't work out. Like this has happened three times now where I just casually buy a nice saddle off of eBay and I ride in it. And for whatever reason, my trainer hates it or it doesn't really fit me or whatever. Um, so I have yet to find a saddle, but I have casually started a resale business because I keep buying these saddles and then just relisting them on eBay instead of returning them and making more money on selling them again. I was going to ask why, <laughs> what are you doing with all of these? But that's impressive. Yeah. See, I would, like I would lose money. Like that's what would be the problem. I'd lose money on the resale. So far I got a good streak, man. So, man, uh, good we'll on see, you. We'll see how Moral long it lasts. But the moral of the story is give it to Justine and she'll sell it for you. Moral of the story is don't buy from Justine unless you haggle because she's lying. <laughs> she, got it for, she got it for less. Well, so I'm always looking for a deal, right? I'm like, damn, that's a nice saddle for sale. People don't know what they got, you know? Um, oh, and then, yeah. 
And then I ride it in a week for like a week and like this Can ain't work for me. And then I just list it for more than I bought it for. And so far it's worked out. So I'm, yeah. I'm doing pretty good. You're There's still you're probably like getting it. a good deal. Yeah, you're I a sold, flipper. I sold one for like more than a thousand dollars than what I paid for it. I was like, damn, this wow. is crazy. I know. So, but wow. my luck's going to run out. I can't keep doing this. My husband's like, what is every week? There's a new giant box at the door. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's freaking that's out. risky business. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I got to stop you guys. I need help. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is my rose. Um, and then my thorn is uh, a trainer. Friend of mine has one of those solo shot cameras you know the ones that follow you around you wear the oh, yeah. little tr- tracker she bought it and she didn't she doesn't know how to use it so she's like here you use it for like a month and then teach me and i'm like okay and so i wrote in it uh once with like a friend and it wasn't so bad we figured it out and then i tried to ride in it again this week by myself like all right let me set it up in the you know in the jump field and um and i i <laughs> I, I jumped a whole ton i thought it like the camera followed me everywhere. I was watching it follow me through the field. And then I brought it home to look at the videos. And the only videos that recorded are like of me standing in front of it going, what's wrong with the camera? Why isn't it working? Or like my horse (laughs) swiping it with his tail. Like it recorded none of the videos of me actually riding. So if you have a solo shot camera and you are listening, please reach out to me because I need help. But they're not as... I thought they would be more um, uncomplicated to use. User Uh, friendly. Yeah. And like the first time when we wrote in it and it worked out, the, the file sizes are so huge because you can't easily turn the camera off. Like you can go jump around and then be done. But if you don't turn the camera off, it's going to keep recording. Right. So then you get this like monster video file of like an hour footage and, Mm the majority of the footage is you just walking around, you know, maybe jumping for like 10 minutes. So, so it's interesting. I'm still, I got to use it a few more times and we'll see if it sways me. But, um, but the video footage was funny of me just like staring very confused into the camera, very sweaty, looking at it going like, is this on or is this not on? (laughs) I think you should post that in the group. All right. Maybe I will. (laughs) I want to, I want to see at least a like embarrassing still from that. I can do that. That I can do. I will look forward to it. <laughs> All right. What do you got, Ellie? So my rose is actually about cameras too. I so my mom got me those blink Amazon cameras like two years ago to put up in my stalls so I could check on the horses while I'm at work. Oh and nice. I, I finally put them up like three weeks ago. And it's great because I'm getting to see my horses um like lay down in these strangest positions. I find it extremely comical and it makes my day a little better all the time. My baby sleeps, or I shouldn't say my baby because Amazon's gonna start giving me baby clothes, right? But um <laughs> but he he literally beaches himself and it's the funniest thing. And I just like I my phone is now full of screenshots of my horses sleeping and I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a helicopter parent. But that's it's amazing. Great. It's great. 10 out of 10 would recommend. So it um, took you so long to set them up? Um, well, because I couldn't figure out my internet situation at my house because I live in the boondocks. So um, I ended up just getting one of those MiFi um, like compact jetpack things. And I have one out in the barn. So when the winter comes, I'm going to have to figure out, figure out like how to insulate it so it stays warm enough. So I'm thinking if I use like styrofoam or something, then it can still be an internet thing. I don't know. 
I have to figure it out. I'm not an internet person, so. <laughs> but, but my thorn uh, is that I have to redo my arena again. Oh. So I just redid it literally nine months ago. And I'm still paying on the loan that I took out for that. Um, but I had a groundhog problem. I remember. Um, yeah. yeah. So I literally went out one night and all of a sudden there were like five holes around the rail. Um, and then I found out that, you know, they're not just on the rail. There could be tunnels all the way through. I had some wildlife oh, guy no. come out. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, do I, Matt is like, well, do we just dig where we know there are holes? I'm like, I don't know. I think we just have to bite the bullet, pay for it and get it just redone. Cause the last thing I want to do is have, you know, jump a horse and, and have holes. Yeah. Yeah. And break a leg. I just, I would never forgive myself. So, um, 2020 Ellie is still going into debt. <laughs> that's my thorn <laughs> coronavirus has not saved me any money Ugh. so how do you how do you prevent them from coming back like a third time uh, okay so they they did um so the wildlife people i had out did like a preventative work so they dug like a trench around my entire barn and then put like galvanized like steel cages in and out Cause I guess that they won't dig if it's like over a foot out from the structure. Like they want their holes like right next to it. Mm. So, and then that oh, has wow. a three year warranty. So if, if that goes to crap, then I'm going to sue them and make them pay to redo the arena. <laughs> Cause I won't do it a third time, but the arena people are being so nice and great. And I'm getting a free load of shave or shavings, <laughs> free load of footing, um, which is, super oh, expensive nice. and yeah they're being really helpful and they are sympathetic and so it's good but it's not good on my wallet <laughs> oh man so guys we got a mailbag from megan in the facebook group and justin ellie i'm hoping you can help her out so megan is an adult novice riding a green horse she's always wanted to go to a clinic but she doesn't know how to decide which one is the right one for her they all seem out of her league she says but she doesn't know how else to improve so what's your advice on like, what's a good first like entry level clinic and how do you find that? So I think, um, one, J Jackie Brooks just came on and they're doing that symposium, which would be awesome. So I would one sign up for that because I think that's such a great learning tool and you don't feel like, you know, you're in front of everybody. So like, I think this whole online type thing is great. So I know there's a lot of other people kind of doing online trainings and stuff. I know Elise, Jordan does it as well. So reaching out to people like that. But I think the biggest advice I would give is just make sure you're going to a kind of a clinic or a situation that's open to all levels so that you ask the people around, like, are they just doing people that compete? Are they doing this? Or are they truly every welcome? Every level is welcome. So I think that would be the best thing. It's just kind of ask in your area what they're sort of doing. Yeah. Ask the coordinators too. Like, a lot of the clinics I've done have had like different sections and they'll say like, you know, a lot of them, if they're jumping, there'll be heights, you know, but you can ask the people who are putting on the clinic, ask them, you know, do they have a flat only, or do they have a green horse section? You know, be honest. I mean, those, that's what those people are trying to do. They want to accommodate everybody. Yeah. Definitely agree with both of you. I think that's great advice. And also don't be afraid to just go for it, Megan. Like who cares that your horse yeah. is green? 
You're never going to yeah. know until you go. So just if you want to do one, just go. So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the air, uh, you can send us an email by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or you can post in our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. If you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Brief, our daily email newsletter, by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. And we want to say thank you to all of our partners this week, EcoGold, Flare, SmartPak, and EIS. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.